This morning, I'd like to talk to you about discouragement. And I wanted like to, I'd like to talk to you specifically a message that I've called undermining discouragement. Um, there are seasons and times in life when challenges come, when prolonged change happens, when uncertainty comes. And when those type of things come in life and those seasons and really those, those waves seem to come in life, especially when it seems to come one after another, one of the things that I've often seen and found uh, in those spaces of uncertainty that it becomes a very, very opportune window for discouragement to slip in. Last week, I talked a little bit about fear and panic, and as a follower of Jesus Christ, what our response is to fear and panic, that rather than choosing fear, we, we move in faith, rather than panicking, we move to prayer, and just calling out to God in those seasons. But I've found, much like in our current, the, the current thing that's happening in our community, that every day there's new information. Every day there is uh, maybe a new guideline, a new recommendation, or even a new de- declaration that we need to make sure that we're adjusting our lives and our rhythm to. I know that we've been doing that here as a church. We've, until just this past uh, weekend, ended up having to close the office, but our intent had been to keep it open as long as possible. Um, even in the video announcement this past Wednesday, I had shared we were working on some plans to to try to help get some individuals together uh, for prayer. But then in light of the most recent announcement, we decided, well, we need to put that on hold. But it's just this, this constant season of change. And I've found that constant seasons of change and uncertainty can lead to seasons of discouragement. And so this morning, I wanna take a little bit of time to talk to you about discouragement. As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're committed to following Jesus Christ, one of the things that I really believe that we must do is we must prioritize uh, our thinking and prioritize our frame of mind. We need to prioritize the way we view our world and prioritize the way we view situations and circumstances that would come our way. As we were studying through 1 Corinthians together, just verse by verse looking through it, we continued to highlight the importance of our frame of mind as a follower of Jesus Christ and that frame of mind and the perspective that we use in approaching our world. Um, this is a great season in that we're in and all of the challenges that might be, you might be facing and all the limitations you're facing, this is a great season to take time to examine your biblical worldview, your frame of thinking, your mindset on how you respond to things. Take time to examine that and, and examine really the things that are happening in your heart and how you're responding. Um, when it comes to following Jesus, I really believe that two of the most important things that happen, the first, the first decision, the most important decision that you need to make in life is is your commitment to follow Jesus Christ. That willingness, as I told someone this past week, a, a loving Jesus with your lifestyle. This willingness to commit to follow Jesus with your everything. But I think a second close to that decision, so that's the most important decision that you can make in this life. Second is the attitude or the frame of mind in which you live out that decision. So often individuals will make a decision to to place their faith in Jesus Christ and to follow him and to really seek him, but yet they'll never allow there to be a renewing in their mind, a renewing in how they view life, a renewing in how they they view challenges, a renewing in how they view temptation, a renewing in how they view work and how they view marriage, how they view parenting, how they view finances. But there's so much in our lives that we can leave uh, really unsettled and, and untouched by our commitment to follow Jesus Christ. But Jesus calls for a loving him with your lifestyle, that every single part of who you are, every single part in your mind and in your thinking is brought into alignment with who Jesus is. 
When you look continually in scripture, Ephesians chapter one is is a passage that's rich with truth on this topic. But it's this awareness and the importance of what's happening in our minds. What we're doing with our minds and our patterns of thinking. Uh, Pastor Melvin read out of Philippians four today. The importance of our minds, what we're allowing our minds to focus on. And so I really believe that it's so important that not only do you make your commitment to Jesus Christ, that number one priority in your life, but the second close to it is what you're doing with your mindset, the attitude or the frame of mind in which you approach life. And the perspective and and how you allow your mind to be renewed will impact everything. That it it will get into everything. It'll get into every single part of who you are and every single part of how you go about life. And when I look at that and I look at the importance of of our minds in scripture, when I look through scripture and I see the importance of, of our mindset, what you and I have to realize and we must remember is the Bible declares that just as real as Jesus is, we also have a very real enemy against our souls. The Bible calls him the devil, it calls him Satan. We've talked about him on a number of times before. But one of the the ploys in our culture and one of the ploys that the enemy uses in our world is to try to get us to be desensitized to who the enemy is. And he tries to desensitize our understanding and the reality of who he is. And so the enemy has like a little tool box, I would describe it, a little tool bag. And he loves to pull out little tools and use them against believers. He loves to pull out these little tools and use them against individuals if he, can, if he can deceive you into thinking he's not real, then he's already won. Uh, another tool that he'll use, and we've talked about it here as a church family a number of times, the enemy loves to use a tool of, of fear. He loves to use the tool of, of anxiety. That if he can, he can work his way in your life with fear and anxiety, he can make a mess of your life from the inside out. He can undermine your faith. He can really mess with your frame of mind and how you choose to follow Jesus Christ. But another tool that I think the enemy loves to use against, uh, against followers of Christ is that of discouragement. Both discouragement and doubt. He loves to use discouragement in seasons like we're facing now. Seasons that really we have no idea when there might be an end in sight to the changes we're facing, to what's happening in our culture and our community. And so the enemy loves to try to, to slip in discouragement. And he knows that if he can discourage a Christian, he knows that he can move a Christian to being an, an effective Christian. Because they'll be discouraged. They'll be focused inward. They'll be focused on what's not happening. They'll be focused on, on how they're feeling. They'll be focused on all the wrong things rather than focused on who Jesus is. Uh, Billy Graham this past week posted a quote by A.W. Tozer, and I don't remember the the quote word for word, but it was something like, a a world gripped in fear needs a fearless church. And, And the truth of that is, the world does need a fearless church. A fearless church that fearlessly points to its savior that points to the hope, the lasting hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so the enemy knows that if he can get a Christian, a follower of Jesus, discouraged, discouraged whether it be in this season or really in any season of life, that if he can get you discouraged, he knows that he has you on the path to defeat. So this morning, I'd like to take a little bit of time to look at a character in, the, in scripture that was dealing with discouragement and how Jesus guided him through his discouragement and really sought to answer him. The individual that we're gonna look at is an Old Testament character, yet he interacted with Jesus. 
And to under, help understand that in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with scripture, in the Old Testament, there's the Old Testament really talking about before Jesus. There's a New Testament talking about after Jesus came or when he came and after he came. And in the Old Testament, when it comes to Old Testament prophecy and it comes to Old Testament declarations and Old Testament talking about what God, God has, who God is and what he's doing, it's always leaning forward. It's pointing forward to Jesus. When it comes to the New Testament, when it comes to New Testament prophecy and New Testament teaching, it's always pointing backward. It's pointing backward to Jesus and unpacking everything that's changed because of who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Even the very last book in, in the Bible, Revelation, which is a book of prophecy, a book of mystery. There's a lot of things in there we don't, individuals don't necessarily understand or, or uh, they perhaps make speculation about. But even in a book like Revelation, that is prophecy about things to happen in the future, things perhaps even like some of what we're walking through now, but things that happen in the future, it's still pointing back to Jesus and how Jesus changes everything. And so when we look in the New Testament, we looked at it's pointing back to Jesus and how he's changed everything going forward. In the Old Testament, it's pointing forward to Jesus and the hope that we have in him. And so the character I wanna look at this morning is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is an individual that, that appears in some of the opening pages of the New Testament. He is what is called the forerunner. He went before Jesus and announced Jesus' coming, uh, announced Jesus as the Messiah. Now, if you're with, like me, when I think of John the Baptist and I, I look in the Bible at John the Baptist and I, I look at his life, I picture a man, if I could put him in front of me and I could just picture John the Baptist, I would picture a man who is tough, a man who was unswayed by opinion, a man who's a little bit smelly. I mean, he's wearing camel's hair and, and lives in the desert. Um, and so there's just a lot about John the Baptist that our minds would come to and that we would get this picture of. And I want you to find in your Bible with me, Matthew chapter 11, it gives us a picture of John the Baptist. And I'll read that in just a second. But as you're turning there, as you're scrolling there to Matthew chapter 11, I wanna read to you just a couple of verses from Matthew chapter three that describe John the Baptist. Listen to this, John, uh, Matthew chapter three, verse one. This is speaking of John the Baptist. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. So he came, he's living in the wilderness and he's preaching. And as he's preaching, he's preaching a message of repentance. He's preaching a message of rebuke. He's rebuking King Herod for taking his brother-in-law's wife. He's, he's, uh, he's rebuking the religious leaders. He's calling out individuals, calling them to a place of repentance, calling out the religious system of the day. And he's in the desert preaching this message and he's drawing crowds to him. People are flocking to listen to him. And then listen how it describes him in verse four. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And then it goes on to say how many people, that people began to go out and see him. So we have this picture of a man and Jesus even describes him as a, a reed that does not sway or bend in the wind. That he's a man who's unbroken, a man who, who, who really is willing to stand against the tide of culture, stand against the religious system, the political leaders of the day, and declare the truth of who God is. And so we see this man who's such a pillar of faith, a man who is, has such a declaration of faith and, and trust in God, but yet I wanted you to see another space where John the Baptist surfaces, and this is in Matthew chapter 11. I really think the final picture, or one of the final pictures we have of John the Baptist is one of him dealing with discouragement. This man of great faith, this man of great authority, 
This man who had others uh, irritated and even fearful of him because of the message he, he declared. But yet he, one of the final pictures we have of John the Baptist is one of discouragement. Look with me in Matthew chapter 11, verses one through six. It says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And you look at that and you look at this message that John is sending to Jesus and the question that he's asking, that question in verse uh, three one more time, and we're gonna focus in on this uh, in in a greater deal in a second. But he says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? This is the message that John the Baptist sends to Jesus. So he's been announcing Jesus as the one who's to come, and now he's raising question. Jesus, are you the one who's to come? And I would suggest that John is dealing with discouragement because in this case, Josephus, a Jewish historian who uh, really lived at that same time, was able to record a number of things. He records that, that John the Baptist, at this point in Jesus's ministry, was in prison and he ended up being in prison for about a year in in a mountain fortress, just locked away from society, locked away from anything other than what his disciples might bring as messages and rumors of what Jesus was doing in other places and other other towns. And the best way you could picture it, John the Baptist has been announcing Jesus. He's been announcing the ministry of Jesus. He's been announcing the Messiah, the one that the nation of Israel has been looking for, the one they've been longing for. He's been announcing Jesus as the one to come. And then yet as soon as Jesus arrives on the scene, John the Baptist is arrested and he's stuck in prison for just about the entirety of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. So everything that he was announcing, everything that he, he was declaring, he did not get to see. That would be like if you're a parent, you've been planning this incredibly special surprise for a child, for your child, for a loved one, for a close friend, and you're, you're planning out this, this incredible uh, surprise, something you wanna just blow their socks off with and just surprise them with and just express your gratitude to them. And as you get it all prepared, then all of a sudden you, you get called away for some reason and you totally miss being able to see the excitement in their face and seeing that revealed. In a sense, that's John the Baptist. John has missed every bit of Jesus' ministry in Galilee, everything that he had announced and he declared. In fact, John's imprisonment in this mountain fortress would ultimately lead to his beheading because of his faith and and the things that he had declared. And so when I see John in prison in Matthew chapter 11 and this question that he asked Jesus, in verse two it says he heard about the deeds. And then verse three he says, are you the one who's to come or should we look for someone else? Should we expect someone else? There are, when I look at John the Baptist and how he's dealing with discouragement in this season, in this space, there's three questions that I think Jesus leads him to that I really believe are great tools and reminders for you and me in undermining discouragement when it would come in life. Because you and I have found, and you know this by now, that we have no control over many of the circumstances and things that come our way. In fact, I would suggest that most of the circumstances that come your way, what's more important is not so much what you go through, but how you go through them how you journey through those difficulties, how you journey through those those disappointments, how you journey through those hard seasons or challenging seasons or uncertain seasons like we're in. And that's such a, a ripe window for discouragement to take root. 
So Jesus gives John three questions, and I'll highlight them for you in, this, in, in, what he's, uh, in his response. But Jesus asked John, do you see, do you hear, and do you remember? Do you see what God is doing? Do you hear what God is saying? And do you remember God's continued faithfulness? Do you see, do you hear, do you remember? And I would encourage you, whether you're sitting here in the sanctuary, you're sitting at home, and whether you're in state college or you're halfway around the world, the best thing I would encourage you with, the challenge I would encourage you with this morning, is if you find discouragement knocking on the door of your heart, if you find doubt and questions clouding your judgment, clouding your mind, clouding your faith, take time this morning to look and ask yourself, do I see what God's doing? Do I hear the voice of God? Do I remember his faithfulness both in the past and the promises of what he has for me in the future? Do you see, do you hear, and do you remember? The first one, do you see? I want you to look with me in verse two and three one more time. Do you see? First is verse two. When John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah, and he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So he hears of what Jesus is doing and he sends his disciples with a question. Now I want you to, if you're able to at home or here, if you have a way to mark Matthew chapter 11 and stay there, I wanna take you to this same account, this same story, but as it unfolds in, in Luke. So Luke chapter seven, it's just about a parallel story uh, to what we've just read, but there's something else that's included in Luke chapter seven, a small detail that Matthew, uh, for whatever reason, how God led him, chose not to include. Luke chapter seven, beginning in verse number 28, says John's disciples told him, talking about John the Baptist, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So just pause there for a second because we get to the exact same message Jesus sends his disciples away with. So we see the same thing unfolding. The disciples, John's dealing with discouragement. He's dealing with doubt and he sends his disciples to Jesus. He says, are you the one who's to come? Are you the one that, that John was announcing and pronouncing would be coming as the Messiah? Then look what Jesus does. So the disciples come, they're asking Jesus, Jesus, here's how Jesus responds. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers. So you see, they, they bring the question. Jesus, instead of answering the question, demonstrates the answer, and then he gives them this answer. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So Jesus says, Jesus comes and he comes to answer the question that John the Baptist's disciples carry, but he answers it with a demonstration. He answers it by demonstrating the answer, by helping them see the answer they're looking for. And what I would suggest is that John was, was so busy looking for a certain picture, a certain answer, a certain breakthrough, that because he wasn't seeing the answer the way he thought it should be, he thought that perhaps Jesus was no longer the one he declared him to be. Just the way the discouragement began to distort his mind and to distort his perception and understanding it. And what I see is that in, in this, in, both in Luke and in Matthew, that Jesus' answer is get your eyes up and see what God's doing. 
See how God is still working? And, and even though the circumstances may not be changing, God is still God and he is still at work. It's such a great reminder of our perspective, of our mindset, of how we choose to follow Jesus and the mindset we choose to follow him with. As a follower of Jesus Christ, God has not put his spirit in you so that you live a life defeated by fear and discouragement. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has put his spirit in you so that you can not only walk in courage and in boldness and in declaration of who God is and what he does and continues to do, but you continue to let your life be an avenue of hope to those around you. And so the enemy knows that if he can discourage you, you'll no longer be that avenue of hope. So take time in your life, in the midst of where you're at, in the midst of what you're going through. Perhaps you were already walking through a difficult season before this whole thing happened in our, in our community and in our nation and in our world. So it's almost a difficulty laid upon difficulty. And I would encourage you in the midst of that to try to do whatever it takes to get your perspective and your focus and your hope back up on Jesus. To realize the reality of who he is in spite of what you might be going through. I'm reminded of a story in uh, 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings, chapter, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a prophet by the name of Elisha. And the prophet by the name of Elisha is kind of the one who has carried forward the ministry of the prophet Elijah. Both men, very powerfully anointed by God, both powerfully used. And in 2 Kings chapter six is a story of Elisha as he's there, and, and you can turn there if you want. I'm not gonna read any verses necessarily out of that. But in 2 Kings chapter six, Elisha is there, and, and if you look in all of these, the verse chapters before him, some of the things that Elisha does, he has in, in, uh, in, chapter, in chapter four and chapter five, he, uh, God uses him in a powerful way. And in, in chapter four, he, he uh, uses, takes a little bit of oil. There's a widow and, and her family, they're about to be sold into slavery and he takes a little jar of oil. And this little jar of oil he takes and he begins to pour it into different pots and they take all those, that oil and they sell it off to, to, sell off the, to pay, settle the debt. But just this miraculous supply and provision that God does. The second thing, another thing Elisha does in, in chapter four is it says that he restores a young man back to life. And many other stories, there's another story where Elisha has, is with some servants and they're cutting something and they, they drop a tool that had been borrowed down into to some water and he prays it and God miraculously makes this ax head float and just all of these, these incredible demonstrations of power. And right beside Elisha and most all of this would be his servant. But yet in 2 Kings chapter six, we find that there's an enemy king who really has, a, has an issue with Elisha because Elisha keeps revealing his plans. And so the, the king sends his army. He finds where Elisha is staying, the house he's staying. And so the king sends his army and he doesn't just surround the house, he surrounds the city, the entire city where Elisha's staying. And so it says Elisha's servant goes out and he walks outside and, and he says this, he says, oh no, my Lord, what are we gonna do? He says, what are we gonna do? We've been surrounded, we've been overrun. The enemy's here. And so Elisha prays this prayer. He says, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. It says, then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and as he opened the servant's eyes, he saw not the army disappear that was around him, but he, his perspective shifted and he saw really the army of God surrounding the army that surrounded them. It was such a radical shift of perspective so the army didn't go away. In fact, God used Elisha and the servant to minister to the army that had surrounded him. 
But the servant's eyes were open to a new perspective, to see that in the midst of what he may have been overwhelmed with, that God was there overwhelming the very things that had overwhelmed him. Such a radical shift of perspective and a radical shift of understanding and seeing just how God's faithfulness and his provision to Elisha and to you and to me. And so I just encourage you in the midst of what we're walking through, just unique times, unique seasons, take time to stop and to look and and see what it is that God is actively doing in your life. It may not be what you're wanting to change. It may not be the answers you're wanting but God is still actively working, so take time to see it. A couple of things that I've seen just for us as a church family in this season. Uh, my wife and I, as we talk about it, we just, we miss gathering together, together as one, worshiping and lifting our voice to God. And we've come to realize that, that God is creating in us a greater hunger to gather together with other believers. On this past Wednesday, during our time of prayer, we had someone over to join us and, and just to gather in prayer and to lift our voices to God in prayer. Another thing that I see happening is a greater desire to pray. I've regularly heard from individuals in our church about their prayers and calling out to God and things that God's putting on their hearts and ways that they're just lifting their voice to him. But I see God at work in the midst of our current circumstances of creating a greater desire to be together, a greater desire to pray, a greater desire for worship, a greater desire for God's word, and just how he's, he's creating this hunger in us for more of him. So while things aren't changing on the outside, God is changing us on the inside. But it takes time to stop and to look and to see how God is actively working in your life. So I believe the first question, the first tool to disarm discouragement in your life is, do you see? Second question that God puts to John the Baptist, first one is, do you see? Secondly, is, do you hear? Do you hear? Do you hear what God is doing? Do you hear how God is speaking? Do you hear how he's working? I want you to see something in verses, uh, verse four, this is back to Matthew chapter 11, in verse four through six. So Jesus is answering John's disciples, but listen to how he answers them. Says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And so Jesus answers John's disciples and sends them back to John, but the language he uses while he's not quoting Isaiah word for word, the language he uses is very picturesque of of the prophet Isaiah 700 years before. And so when John would hear this, and even John's disciples, when they would hear this because they memorized scripture that was just part of, uh, as as they were seeking God, just they were memorizing scripture, they were aware of scripture, very, that was a very normal thing for, for Jewish men to do at the time, to memorize scripture. So they would have been very familiar with Isaiah's prophecies. So when they hear Jesus saying this, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear and the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As they would hear Jesus uttering those words, those disciples' minds would immediately go to the prophet Isaiah. And as he took that, those disciples took that message back to John the Baptist, and he's sitting in this mountain fortress in this dungeon, ultimately waiting to be beheaded, and the disciples bring this message to John, John's mind, again, would have immediately gone back to the prophetic message of Isaiah. You see, God was speaking, and God was actively speaking through Jesus and the life and the ministry of Jesus, and he was helping dial John the Baptist in to hear what exactly what it is that God was saying. John was looking, perhaps in all the wrong ways, 
for how God was speaking and what God was saying. John, just like many in that day, would have probably had a certain picture and an idea of what the Messiah would look like, who he was and how he would look. And as John is in this, this prison cell and discouragement is kind of having its way in his heart and his life, I'm, I'm sure some of the ideas of who the Messiah was and who he would be uh, began to kind of rub up against what he was hearing about Jesus. And so Jesus really kind of paused him and encouraged him and reminded him and he said, listen, Through my life, God is speaking and he is fulfilling a prophetic promise from over 700 years ago. Just slow down and listen. Slow down and hear how it is that God is speaking and what it is that he's saying. I would suggest that when we no longer see what God's doing, our ears close to hearing what God is saying then when we no longer see God actively working, when our eyes aren't seeing what we want to see, then before long we have closed our ears to hearing what it is that God is continually speaking and saying to us. I can remember a time I had gone to a, a rifle range, the gun range with a friend, and, and really it's happened a number of times, going, to, going and, and, and shooting, and we put in earplugs, and you know, we're shooting, I think at this time we were both shooting some handguns or something, and we went back to, uh, to where our stuff was, and we're just dealing with something, and then we're gonna go back over and, and shoot again, but we had our earplugs in. And there was another person who had come over a little bit further away, but I was, was at his station with some things, and, and as he was there, he looked, turned over and began to speak to me. Now, I didn't realize it because I had earplugs in and I wasn't looking for him to be speaking. So I was really tuned out to what he was saying. But something caught my eye. I don't know what it was caught my eye. And I looked and I realized this gentleman is speaking to me. And so as I turned and I, and I, I look, immediately I can see his lips are moving and I begin to hear what he's saying. That it was something that I was completely tuned out to before that. But once I saw, I heard And so I would encourage you to take time to look through your life. If it's just take time to look over this past week, look over this past weekend, look over the past two weeks, look over the past month and actively look for things that God has been doing, things that you can see and identify. And then with that, go and look and actively look for things that God has been saying, ways that he's revealing himself to you, ways that he is is speaking and ways that he is is, uh, just speaking into your heart and speaking into your circumstance. I think most often when we come to spaces and challenges in in life like we're in now as a community and like we're in now as a nation, that God is always speaking, but sometimes the frequency isn't the frequency we want to tune into. It can come in the form of difficulty. It can come in the form of disappointment. It can come in the form of delay. It can come in any number of shapes and sizes, but the frequency is something we don't turn into because it's something we don't want in our life. But God uses every circumstance to speak into your life. He uses every opportunity to weave his voice into your day and into your life and he's revealing himself to you. So I would encourage you, I would encourage you today, once this live stream is over and once once things have settled at your home or where you're at, take time to just this past week, jot down some of the things that God's been saying to you. Ways that we recognize his voice or if it's repetitive. Um, this past week, I've had uh, the, the prayer from Jehoshaphat. I used it in part of my prayer this morning, the prayer of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. God has just been directing my heart to that prayer and, and, it, and it was a part of where I'd been reading uh, just in the, week, in the days prior. And so I read it 
and then something else directed my heart to it. And then one of the, the gentlemen, Joseph, in our church family who's on the keyboards this morning emailed me a prayer out of it. And I just, when I see that, and I see that repetitive pointing out this scripture, I think there was someone else that had, had shared that passage with me. That for me is a highlighter showing me God speaking something to you in this, in this space. So take time to look over your life. Look over the circumstances, look over the challenges and ask yourself, what is it that God's been speaking to me? What is he saying to me in the midst of all that we're walking through and all that you're walking through and all of the the, the things that you're facing? So first is do you see, secondly is do you hear? The third thing that I would encourage you with is do you remember? Jesus reminds John and really gives him that question, do you see, do you hear? And do you remember? If you look in 11.3, or really verse, in chapter three, verse 11, John the Baptist is announcing Jesus. And as he's announcing Jesus, he's describing him as the one who is to come. And he's saying it with confident authority. He's saying, this is the one who's to come. This is the promised Messiah. He's the one who's supposed to be here. Now he's saying the same thing, but he's ending it with a question. Chapter 11, verse three. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? He's switched from confident assurance to questioning and wondering. And so Jesus draws John the Baptist back and he says, do you remember? Do you remember what you've declared? And, and, and he begins to point him back to the words of Isaiah and the, the promise of Isaiah and, and in his answer that he gives. But it's this continued reminder to point back to the faithfulness of God and the way that God has been faithful again and again and how God has answered and directed and guided and was encouraging John the Baptist just to not lose lose hope, to not be discouraged. In fact, we see God's loving care for John the Baptist through Jesus, because Jesus never once in this whole passage rebukes John. Instead, there's some loving guidance that he gives. There's some loving reassurance that he gives, but he never rebukes him. And so when you find yourself in a place of discouragement, a place of doubt, know that those are the times where God draws the nearest to care for you. God doesn't believe in social distancing in his relationship with you. That he presses in, and he presses in close. And he desires to be close and near and caring for you wherever you find yourself. And that can happen in the seclusion of your own home when you're not allowed to leave. That can happen in a crowded grocery store. That can happen in your car. That can happen while you're sitting right there in your living room. The reality of God's presence, that he'll come and he'll just overwhelm and draw near to you in a way that will bring peace and encouragement and joy. And he wants you to know, he wants you to remember his faithfulness to you. And John, Jesus reminded John to remember the faith, his faithfulness, to remember the way that God has kept his word, to remember the way that God has continued to come through. And I would encourage you, friends, take time this week, take time today to recount God's faithfulness in your life, to remember, to bring back into remembrance all the ways that God has answered prayers, all the ways that God has provided, all, all the ways that he has come through, even in perhaps a space of, of uncertainty and a space of lack and a space of question to realize that God is a God who is always faithful. Our current circumstances don't diminish the faithfulness of God. One of the, uh, the Psalms that, probably my favorite Psalm in if you're a part of the State College Assembly family, you've heard me reference this psalm a number of times, and it's Psalm 37. And Psalm 37 says this. I just want to read you the opening verses. Psalm 37, beginning in verse one. It says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. 
take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Or one translation says to feast on his faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And then verse seven, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. And what he's talking about, what the psalmist is declaring, he's saying, God, remind me not to spend more time giving thought to my issue than to you. Remind me not to spend more time looking at all the things around me that I wish were different, all the things around me that I wish would change, all the things around me that, that I wish I could change. Instead, help me to remember that in all of my thinking and in all my focus to focus upon your faithfulness and the way that you've always been there. Uh, last week, I, I shared a, a quote and really a variation of a quote I'd shared from previous weeks. And the quote was, the quote that was originally shared was for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. And last week I shared the variation of that it was for every one look at the news or every one look at, at society, every one look at the current, whatever's happening, for every one look at that, take 10 looks at Jesus. And for every one thought that you have about how you're gonna provide or every one thought you have about how your needs might be this or every one fear that comes to mind or every whatever it is, take 10 looks at Jesus. Take 10 looks at his faithfulness and be reminded of who he is and in all things, how he's always faithful. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back and to begin to ready themselves. But what I would encourage you, friends, as you read through scripture, as we read through the stories like John the Baptist or others, that we see the history and the story of how God works in humanity. And we see the pattern of how he works. And in his pattern, we see that he's continually faithful. We see that he continually answers and that he continually comes through. And so what I would encourage you today and encourage you this week, those three questions, do you see, do you hear, and do you remember? Take time to apply them into your own life and to really into your own circumstances right where you're at. Take time to look back and see, see the faithfulness of God. Take time to pause and to listen to what it is that God's saying and how he's been saying and how he's been speaking to you. And then take time to remember. Remember all the ways that he's come through. Remember all of his promises for you, all of the ways that he provides, and we continue to look to him. Uh, one of the things that, that we talked about in uh, 1 Corinthians and really the opening verses in 1 Corinthians, we're talking about the wisdom of God. And in talking about the wisdom of God, it's talking about pointing to the cross and who Jesus is and the, the solution that God has given us for our greatest need, and that is relationship with him. And it says that God in his wisdom met your greatest need, and it's a reminder that God in his wisdom can meet any and every need that comes your way past that, that we look to him in everything. I wanna invite you to stand with me one last time. And the worship team, I've asked them to come and to lead in one more song which is very fitting for this space, for this message and really where we're at. And as they sing, I don't want you to just actively watch. Um, you, may, you may want to engage in worship and that is, that's appropriate. But I want you to take an action step. While you're in your house, while you're standing in your living room, standing in your kitchen, wherever you're standing, I want you to take an action step and perhaps pick one, maybe two, maybe you want to pick all three. But pick one of those, those questions, do you see, do you hear, and do you remember? And take time to pray it back to God. If you're, you find yourself not seeing God's provision, not seeing his answer, not seeing his guidance, take time to pray and say, God, help me open my eyes that I might see. 
Help me to see all the ways that you've been faithful. Help me to see all the ways that, that, that you answer. Help me to see all the ways that you've provided. Help me to see all the ways that, that you've come through. Help me to see all the ways that you're there for me. But take time to take these questions and begin to pray over them. You might want to, to gather with those in your home right there and, and form a circle in your living room. Uh, you might, whoever is there with you, take time together to pray. One or two lead out in prayer. And let's call out to God in prayer. And then I'll come back and I'll give a final dismissal in just a minute.